0: folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Mason Gravely. Today's episode is pretty cool because we are talking to a fellow podcaster, Tina Muir. Tina is the host of Running For Real. It's a running podcast, really big audience, great show. It's been going for a while. Tina herself is a former British pro runner, community builder, of course, podcaster, now author. She wrote a book called Becoming, or she co-wrote a book with actually another adventure sports podcast alumni, Zoe Ram. And the book is called Becoming a Sustainable Runner, which is out now. And we're going to expand on that idea and introduce the ideas of Becoming a Sustainable Adventurer, because all the lessons that apply to being a sustainable runner also apply to being an adventurer. And by the way, I met Tina last year at the Outdoor Media Summit back in October, Yes, almost a year ago now in Lake Tahoe. And it was right after a week of backpacking in Yosemite, and it was awesome. It was just absolutely fantastic. And so we're talking about sustainability. And the reason is here in the event- adventure world, we see so many folks that are doing these cool challenges, They're but they're huge in taxing, like polar exploration, or they're flying to you know, 10 countries in 10 days to run 10 marathons or something. And those are really cool. They're, they're amazing. Uh, But so many of these adventures don't consider maybe uh, just the environmental impact and the waste that it, that it contributes to the world. And so we're talking about how to plan your adventures in a way that isn't, you know, just so wasteful basically. And there's plenty of ways to do it. We have so many examples on this show of how to do adventure without, you know, just, making the world a a dirtier, less wonderful place to live, or just being overtaxing to the environment. There's plenty of ways to do that. And so we're going to talk about some of those ways. And we're only going to scratch the surface. The book dives into a lot more becoming a sustainable runner. You know, in what's becoming a tradition, anytime we have a guest on the show uh, that's an author, we're going to do a book giveaway. So for this giveaway, message adventure sports podcast whether it's a instagram message facebook message or an email you can email info at adventuresportspodcast.com. message the word sustainable if you do that first so i guess the folks in the uk have an advantage here because i usually release this early in the morning message us first with the words sustainable and you will get you the first person to do that will win a copy of becoming a sustainable runner all right let's go ahead and dive in All right, folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. Fellow podcaster here. So this is this I was telling Tina a little bit before we recorded. It's always a little nerve wracking because I'm like, ah, what's my process versus theirs? Is it like, oh, you do that? Well, I do this. But you you make it feel uh, very, very comfortable. You, you you reassured me this is how you do it too. But Tina Muir, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me. And it's funny how, you know, you sometimes see those uh, Twitter threads or things where they're like, what words that podcasters say really annoy you? And it would be like, let's unpack that or let's dig into that. And so maybe that's the thing that I'll be like, what is his word that he tends to say? Um, because I'm very conscious of that now when I say something that one of those things I'm thinking, oh, those people are thinking, oh, please don't use that phrase. Um, because, you know, podcasters do tend to <laughs> say the same things or let's double click on that or something. Yeah, it's funny. We have little mannerisms. <laughs>
0: I, I think mine is probably um, uh, no. I'm just kidding. That's like the worst thing you can do. As a <laughs> I have plenty of those too.
1: <laughs>
0: no, that's uh, that's funny. So yeah, we'll we'll see. Mine, I think mine is when someone answers and I say uh, it's a filler, like "oh, very cool" or "wow, that's awesome," mm. and then actually have my response. And mm. I've I've been called on that a few times. So when I edit the show, I will cut those out. <laughs> when someone else edits for me, and not not they don't always catch it. So. <laughs> sorry, sorry, folks. But well, I always ask this first: Where are you coming from today? Where, where? And if that's not home, where's home for you? But your background for folks that can't see there—we don't record audio, video, so it looks very cozy back there. So I imagine you're at mm-hmm. home or close to it.
1: I am at home. I get a lot of comments on my background, um, which has <laughs> for the listeners a lot of plants in it, some medals, a, a chair that's probably twenty years old. Oh, wow. It definitely needs reupholstering, but it's just hanging out there. Yes, I am at home, which is St. Louis, Missouri, not where people would expect me to be when I when they hear my accent. But I am from Great Britain. I'm from just above London, a town called St. Albans in the UK. But I've been in the US for 15 years now. So this feels more like home, uh, although that will always be my home home. But yeah, I'm very much American at this point without actually being a citizen. <laughs> so a bit of
0: everything. That uh, some of my favorite rappers and barbecue comes from St. Louis. So and, I thought you were going to uh, say England. I was going
1: to be like, what? <laughs> no, <laughs> from St. Louis? Yeah, that makes that's, more sense. That's funny.
0: Yes. Uh, I didn't know you were based or in St. Louis. That's pretty cool. I uh, love that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So,
0: well, well, you host uh Running for Real podcast, and mm-hmm. it's a show that's been going on for for quite a while. You've got hundreds of episodes, mm-hmm. fellow podcaster. I'm always like super. I have to keep myself from talking shop to other podcasters because I want to ask <laughs> advice. How do you do this? How do you do that? Yeah. But take it. What does what that show? Like, what do, you, what do you talk about? What are some of the topics that really keep you engaged with running for real?
1: Yeah. So I launched that in April 2017, and before that, I was hosting a podcast for a company I was working for for another year and a half. So I've been podcasting for quite a long time. And so, as you said, keeping it, you know, to keep that energy up week after week, you got to, you got to really. Uh, find ways to keep it interesting. And especially I've gone through phases where I've done multiple in a week and things like that. It really has evolved over time. There wasn't many running podcasts around or podcasts around in general. And so it was very much interviewing elite runners, maybe interviewing scientists or dietitians. It was all about what can help runners get better at what they do. Now I've morphed even away from runners in some aspects to move more on the social justice, but also just kind of like, humanity piece of it so i don't actually for most people i will ask them about their sport or their running but i actually am more interested in getting to know know the person underneath so who they are what made them who they are uh and and getting a lot deeper so now it's a lot more conversations about what they're up to there's a lot of focus on community i am fascinated and in love with learning about people who have built communities my favorite story that I share often is, uh, these two guys in Detroit from East and West Detroit who came together to make a running club. And that's now the largest running club in Michigan. Like I find that amazing that they've built that network. Um, you know, and, uh, so I really like to get to know the stories of people rather than just what makes people, you know, better runners. Cause that definition to me has changed over time of what makes someone a better runner. For me, that means a healthy mindset around the sport. Not necessarily the fastest you can be.
0: How has your audience kind of accepted that change? <laughs> Have they changed with you? Because I feel like that's not always. That's but I feel like that's a sign of yes. maturity.
1: <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, it's, I'll be honest. Like I, lo- I, I mentioned this to you when we met. I lost people because some people were like. I don't want to hear the, about this community or, or this topic that this person's passionate about. I want you to tell me what this Olympian eats for breakfast. I don't care <laughs> what she cares about. You know, um, and so I did lose people. And that was hard, like, on my ego, honestly, because I'd had one of these top podcasts and I lost a bunch of people in one go. But the people that remained are, like, fiercely loyal and they 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 do things and they and they care and they are trying to just evolve themselves constantly. And so I had to ask myself, what kind of people do I want to surround myself with? I'd like to surround myself with people who believe in growth, not people who are like who have to keep things exactly as they are right now. Um, don't change ever. So it was a worthwhile choice.
0: I try not to talk tons about you know, personal stories or whatnot when interviewing, but that's really a lot of the change we've gone through. You know, it is not about, oh, different sports. It's really what stories do you have from your adventures and how has it changed you? And again, uh, just like you, deeply fascinated and probably prioritized the stories that have a bigger impact on society, community, or have a bigger purpose behind it than just, you know, a look at me adventure they're still so fascinating. I don't know what it is about that, but I guess there's this deep-seated need to also make an impact on the world. So maybe that is for you. I don't, I don't know. What? Why do you think that change has happened? Is there this desire yourself to do some of the things that these people that you interview are doing?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's some, some, of, some of that. Uh, I think partly emotional maturity, as you mentioned, P- particularly for me when I was, we haven't mentioned this yet, but I was formerly an elite athlete, a pro runner. And in that time, I felt, Like my life was very selfish. It was all about me. I want to run my fastest. Everyone around me had to dictate their lives to my life. So I think for me, it's partially like I felt like I took a lot during that time. So it's my turn to give, my turn to amplify the people who are giving without expecting in return, because there's so many of those people out there who just are inspiring because they... Believe in the world and they believe in humans. And you also see, we all see it, don't we, where you see people that are in this tightly knit community where they genuinely want each other to succeed. And that looks like it, and it does, feels really good. Whereas if you're still in that stage of how do I get my best and I get this, then that doesn't feel as good in the long run. And so, yeah, for me, I just wanted to be a part of something bigger than myself. Would you say it's the same for you? What would you say? I'm going to flip it on you as a podcaster.
0: Every time I interview another <laughs> host, it's like, you can't help a host. Hosts are going to host. They're going to ask <laughs> questions. Interviewers are going to interview. Yeah, definitely. It's finding purpose in this life. I feel like adventure is like a small little life in itself. It's like a microcosm of life itself. The highs, the lows, the 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 joys, the 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 hard times, all that. And doing it for a bigger reason is so something about that just feels so right. And I love to give folks that spotlight. And and yeah, you know, you live a little bit vicariously through your guests. You learn a lot through them. And you hope to take some of that and make an impact on the world too. So yeah.
1: I wanna maybe add one more point that I think is important for listeners to hear. And that is like, when I'm sure you, you interview a lot of high level people and it's ha- quite hard. And I say this having myself been one, it's quite hard for the average person to connect, to resonate with a high level athlete of any kind, because it, their talent takes them such a long way. And it's like, well, I could never do that, no matter how hard I tried. Whereas when you hear the stories of people who are building community or who are doing things for others and they're, they're average people, that, inspires you because you think, wow, they're like me. And it just allows you to get a deeper sense of what am I capable of? Uh how can I be a part of this world in a positive way. So I love that piece of it as well as like hearing everyday stories rather than just stories of people who have these extraordinary talents. So I still work hard, but you know. Yeah, it's <laughs>
0: yeah. it's but it's unrelatable. It's inspiring. So I my Scale is like, there's there's a scale that every interview falls on. And it's one end of the spectrum is inspiration. The other one is relatability. You know, there's some that are just way over on inspiration. Like a, someone who, you know, breaks a world record or, or climbs, a, you know, fastest known time or something. I'll never do that. It is crazy to hear about some of these stories, but zero relatability. Whereas someone else, completely relatable. But I find those just as inspiring so it's not like it's mutually exclusive a lot of those people that are just more relatable it also inspires but we we're always trying to make sure that's balanced so that if we do have a guest that's pure inspiration the next one is extremely relatable um and just and there's plenty of people that are both but yeah you're right i i i love having those guests that i feel like are an untold story or an underrepresented story that you're like this is amazing. This is one of the coolest stories I've ever heard. Have you ever had it? What's a guest that you just maybe couldn't believe you got on, or you've had some big names on the show over the years. Anyone that stands out is just really impactful. For me, it changes, you know, depends on what I'm thinking about that day, who I've talked to recently, but there are a few highlights that I, I love. How about you?
1: Who stands out as like, I can't believe I got is different to the answer of which one has impacted me. Because as you said, it that very much changes. The The one I was most proud of, I couldn't believe I got was Malcolm Gladwell. I got to do it in person. And I just remember like looking at him and being like, that's, that's Malcolm Gladwell. That man talking to you right now is Malcolm. And being like, no, no, concentrate now. Listen to what he's saying. Yeah, but that's Malcolm Gladwell. Like, uh, so that was that was definitely one of those moments. But yeah, the the other ones, I I really feel that changes has grown with me and evolved. And I'm sure um, your listeners can attest to the podcaster kind of goes where their heart is at that moment um, and where they are in their own journey of of life. But I'm trying to think. Someone recently who who is about to embark on something that I think is really amazing um, is a guy named Dio Cato. He's from from maybe Cape Town, but he lives in, in London. He is about to run from South Africa to the UK as a story of human migration. Wow. So Cape Town to London. And he is so inspiring to me with what he's about to do and the reason he's doing it, interviewing him and interviewing his partner, actually. It was another one I did talking about how hard it is for people doing things like that to be have a partner who is left behind for a year while that person does something like that. So, so yeah, that's, those kind of stick in my mind right now.
0: That sounds like a great guess for this show, honestly. Yeah, that, and absolutely. You, so you interviewed pre-adventure, pre-race.
1: Yeah. He had been doing, he did 365 days of running at 10K a day. I think it was for a few years in a row. And then he, that was when he decided he needed to you know, do this journey. So I spoke to him while he was doing the the everyday running, but now he's he's doing this massive uh, undertaking or about to. So yeah.
0: So the training for that was a podcast episode in itself. <laughs>
1: I mean, yeah. The,
0: the training for yeah. that was was newsworthy alone. That's yeah, I pretty mean, he incredible. Did. I think
1: he did seven days of marathons in a row as as one set of his preparation. Um, I don't know what what else he did. Yeah, I think I think he is averaging out. A marathon a day.
0: I, we we've had a, a a decent amount of folks who who have, have run across countries or continents, and yeah. so fascinating those stories. I, I love we love journeys on this show, bit long journeys, things that take you out of your world for, a, you know, a decent amount of time, a week or two or month, and those just really really change you.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Even though it's not always, you know, I, I don't personally get to do them that much right now. Uh, this stage of life but they're very fascinating to hear about and continue talking about so what take us through you know audio audio is one way of telling a story and you are embarking on this journey this new journey uh, uh, of written format written storytelling what are some of the things that writing draws out that audio doesn't or vice versa did you notice any differences
1: Mm, there it's a really good question I think the interesting thing for me is that I very much write as I talk. Very conversational, very informal, uh, very as if I'm just sitting talking to a friend. However, writing with a co-author who you said has been a previous guest, Zoe Rome, uh, Zoe comes from a world of article writing. That was very interesting seeing these two totally could not be more different writing styles and trying to find a blend that had one voice throughout. And so I think I really learned a lot about uh, in podcast, in audio, you can kind of get away with long run on questions or like I'm doing right now, long run on answers. But with a book, you like Zoe said to me very early on, you have to try and get the point across in as few words as possible. And I found that really hard because that's just not me but obviously it has to be in some capacity. And so, yeah, that was was very different because it involved just trying to be as concise as I possibly could when that's not a skill I actually have.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so well, where'd the idea for this book come from? Like, what's the connection there with Zoe, like in the sense of knowing her and then deciding to write a book together? Because, you know, it's a commitment. You know, that's a commitment. It's something to do together. It's a relationship you commit to, which can be scary. Yeah. Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode.
1: One of the beautiful things out of this is that Zoe and I have come out of this very close. And that's not to say we didn't have times where one of us had a really busy week and something was due. And it was like, well, oh, I'm really struggling to get this in you know, We had many stressful weeks in that way, uh, but we've come out of this very close. We share and confide in each other. We support one another, which has been this beautiful evolution because we've been through this hard thing together. And now we get to celebrate it coming out. But In answer to your question, well, the funny thing is with with Zoe specifically, we share this story towards the end of the book, is that we met because I had had so many people tell me, do you know Zoe? Do you know Zoe? And I kept saying, no, I don't know who this Zoe is that you're talking about. Anyway, so I followed her on Twitter, and one day she was tweeting about composting. And I, being an environmental advocate, someone who cares about this, I saw that and I thought, right, that's it. I'm reaching out to this Zoe person. And so I reached out and we got on the phone and we just hit it off immediately. So we always say that, you know, our friendship came from a love of composting, (laughs) uh, which is not something too many people say. Um, But we, you know, I had been thinking about a book for a while in terms of, again, that journey from elite athlete to now I very much run for joy. So that doesn't mean I don't do hard things. I did a, my first ultra a month ago, but I do it with just a different mindset. Before my eyes were, you know, fixed on the floor, I was all about performance. I wasn't enjoying myself. This section of my life is about enjoyment and giving back. I do a lot of running with blind, visually impaired, neurodivergent athletes. So
0: I saw you guided for one of our athletes at Athletic Brewing, Kyle Robidoux.
1: Yes, uh, good oh, I
0: love of ours. Kyle. Good friend, gonna...
1: Kyle. Yes, great guy. He's—I mean—he mentions athletic brain quite a lot. He is absolutely inspired. Kyle is another beautiful example of someone who inspires me so much. And so I'd always wanted to share this journey that I had been on and talk about the fact that in our world we're very much painted this message that no pain, no gain. If you're going to do something, you better do it right. Where's your goal? Set your goal. Go get your goal. If you fail your goal, do it again. And I just that wasn't sitting with me. So I had that piece that I was interested in. And then the environmental piece was always a passion of mine. And I really wanted to find a way to make it relatable to people. And this is where it came from, the whole premise of the book. So much of environmentalism and just talking about climate change, people just can't take it because they're made to feel like If you ever fly again, you are a horrible human being. Or if you ever drink out of a plastic water bottle, that is it. You are disgusting. How dare you? And so I wanted to make it more relatable because while environmentalists that we see in media are maybe like throwing paint on things or protesting or calling their senators, the average person is not going to do that. And not only not going to do it, but they're going to back away panicking, thinking that that's what they're going to be told to do. So I thought there has to be a way to bring people in rather than making people feel like I can't be a part of this. I'm just going to pretend it's not happening. So that was the kind of premise behind this was how can we bring people into the conversation about running, about their own individual pursuits, about community, and then about planet.
0: People did hear the title of the book in the intro, but Mm -hmm. becoming a sustainable runner and what what you mentioned the elite background the 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 lifestyle the mindset the the toll on your body that it seems like the opposite of sustainability the environmental toll of just you know flying around using up things I don't know about you but I go to some events and I'm like a mountain of trash was made because we decided to get together today and do this thing mm-hmm. and it's just mm-hmm. it doesn't seem <laughs> always necessary or sustainable. And that lifestyle just didn't seem that way. So, you know, what are kind of because it's not just environmental, there's like a three-prong approach to being sustainable. What are those prongs and why three and why not? Because my mind immediately goes to environmental sustainability.
1: Yes. Yeah, exactly. I think that's what most people think this is about. But that's actually only a third of the book. And we did it that way to kind of build out to it. Because at the end of the day, if you're not taking if you're not taking care of yourself. You can't take care of your community. You can't take care of your planet. If you're not taking care of your, your community, they're not going to be able to take care of you. The, the community is not going to take care of the planet. It, it all interlocks to each other. And so we really wanted to get a point of like, get yourself to a good place first. And then once you can get yourself there and you can get yourself to believe that you don't have to achieve to be valued, you don't have to going through a divorce and trying to set some kind of big goal to prove your point that you you are better off without this person but at the same time you're going through so much internal stress that your body is just like melting down and you're trying to do this goal and you're like why is this not working well of course it's not working your nervous system is on on fire and so we try to really get people to think about the way that the message that we are pushed in every sense of the word, in terms of body image and the way that we look, in terms of what we're told about needing to buy things or needing to um, have new things all the time, the you know trying to get people to think about the clickability of one click from Amazon when actually your neighbour next door might have the exact thing you you need for that one day that you could borrow off them. To so try to get people to just think a little bit. Same with as you said about travel. We're not saying don't ever go anywhere putting a little stop between the getting out of the airport and the jumping in the Uber. Is there a public transport option? So really trying to just break habits, the messages that we've like taken in over our lifetimes and just get people to think maybe a little bit differently about how to be a more well-rounded person who can then be a part of the community and feel better doing it and start to take action environmentally, even if that the action is the tiniest step to start with. Like taking a vegetarian burger to a cookout and saying, I'm trying to eat meatless once a week. We're not saying go vegan. We're saying, I'm trying to eat meatless once a week so I brought my own burger. We really hope it's digestible in that way within that personal, community, and planet perspective.
0: When I started diving in and seeing that three-prong approach, I I thought it was smart because, which obviously all through this because it's like, oh, it is more about than just like bashing people. Like it just gets, you know, it's, it's really hard to say, you know, don't travel to that event you've been wanting to go to. But the community aspect was a really interesting piece because a lot of times the community is the most dysfunctional part of sustainability of these three prongs. It is, you know, they're they're wanting to do the right thing, but they are absolutely toxic towards each other about it. That's not sustainable. And your message falls apart and your movement falls apart. And what you're trying to get done actually doesn't get done. So you you met Zoe through a, a passion for or a love of composting. How far is this idea what actually came out from when you first started talking about this book?
1: Well, actually, I was offered the opportunity to write the book in the first place. But I knew that I I just didn't feel comfortable doing it alone. I I knew I needed a voice who was passionate about these topics as well but someone who had that knowledge and that understanding and just was able to bring it to a again, the, whole, the whole premise of the book, a more sustainable, well-rounded, like balanced version of what this book could be. And I knew my side was going to be a bit too... If I just did mine, it was going to be too fluffy and it was not going to be full of actual action and here's what you need to do. And Zoe was immediately the person that came to mind for me. We, as I said, we got on really well. And so I, I mean, pretty much immediately called her and said, I'd really love to write this with you. And she was like, I'm in. So we definitely jumped into it, but it was absolutely the right decision. And as I said, we balanced each other out perfectly because of our two writing styles meeting in the middle.
0: I always like to ask this because there's kind of a trope with adventurers that write books or anybody that does something impressive and then writes a book about it. It's like the book was 10 times harder than the thing we wrote about to write the book, getting it out there. For you, um, take us through the journey of, of this experience because you've never written a book. It's There's a lot of things you're learning. Uh, you are used to producing content through a podcast. How much more challenging or or easier, I don't know, was the book versus publishing podcasts on a, on a weekly basis?
1: For me, it was very difficult. I think for Zoe, the hardest part was... Sitting down and not staring at the blinking cursor for her, it was that piece of it. For me, I can easily sit down and go and type. For her, then once she actually gets writing, hers is is pretty good. That like, just needs a little bit more personalization from my side. But for me, it would when it was sent over to the editors. Then there's and that's something I didn't know. There is many different editors that go through your book, and and there's a development editor and then storyline editor and then two other editors, I can't even remember what they all are. And so the hard part is in my head when someone edits, I'm so used to with my content. I mean, with my social media, a lot of it is literally hold the camera up, record, type something, go. There's no editing. Same with my my podcast does get edited, but not tweaked. It's just the like balancing out the levels and things like that. Yeah. So being going from that to then the editors would respond with... Instead of in my head, it was thinking that they would say, oh, tweak this sentence or let's uh add a bit more to this. It was like, this doesn't make any sense, this like entire paragraph. Let's move this to chapter two. And then so you go through chapter two and you're like, where do I put this? So you have to read through it. And then it's not in context. So you have to like tweak it again. And then you have to read it again. And it's just, it's not so much a case of, of small things. It's like redo this whole structure of this chapter which into your head is like oh my god that's 20 pages of of moving things around and you start to as I'm sure we can all imagine you start to read but you're like yeah 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 I've read this already so you're not actually reading it because you're just skimming it uh and that's where you miss things so it was it was pretty for my inner critic it it allowed that to be very loud and be like this is hard really hard so yeah it was tough
0: I'm sure you weren't an expert on this subject either. You, were, you knew the idea, mm-hmm. but there was a lot to learn as far as like the, the information itself on what it means to be sustainable in these three prongs. After getting to the point of, I don't know if you'd say you're an expert or not, but getting to the point you were new enough to write the book and all you learned through the process, how much more or less achievable is the goal of sustainability to you? compared to when you first before you started the
1: book i want to address the first part of your question which is you know not starting out as an expert that in itself was is hard to overcome because again we're very much told in this world that to speak on something you need to have for me an environmental science degree or an environmental journalism and i don't have those things so i, I would to talk about not being an expert couldn't get further from the truth. i mean absolutely the truth. But also that was the point of the book for Zoe and I was saying, you don't have to be perfect at this. And even in periods of writing this book, we were literally not able to do what we were saying. So for example, talking about spreading yourself too thin. Well, there were some nights that we both went to bed late, got up early editing or doing things. So we were ignoring our advice. And that's the point with all of this is like, it's better to be imperfect, but do something than wait for, wait for perfection and never get it out there or never change or never do anything. So that was actually the whole premise of the book. In terms of, so you're kind of asking, am I optimistic? Am I hopeful, essentially?
0: I, I would assume the answer is yes, you're hopeful. But yeah, I'm kind of leading. Is sustainability achievable? Is it is it more achievable learning more about it? Mm. Or is it the more you dig in, it's like, wow, this is way harder, way more involved than I realized.
1: It's definitely way harder because I think the thing you realize the more you go into this is that we we have been made to think that pointing fingers at each other, and this is so relevant to every area of what's going on in our society. We've been told, uh, we've been made to think that pointing fingers at each other, you're wrong, you should be doing this. How dare you, you flew there. Yeah, well, you flew last week. You know, that kind of thing is... It keeps us yelling at each other rather than looking at like, the systems. And the, the example I often use is yogurt. If you wanted to have, be sustained, you wanted to eat yogurt and you want to be sustainable, you go to the grocery store, unless you live in maybe, I don't know, Malibu or Austin, Texas, you go to the grocery store and you say, I'm going to get a sustainable yogurt. And you go look at all the options and you know narrow it down a bit to the brands that maybe are green or say eco-friendly or whatever. But then you try and find, okay, I don't want plastic. There are maybe one, if again, if you live in those places, but for most of us, there are no options. So you are taking home this plastic tub of yogurt. No matter what you do, you are taking it home. Is that our fault that there's literally not an option to not buy yogurt in a plastic tub? No, that's not our fault. So I think a lot of it was realizing how, as individuals, we have very little control other than being able to talk the more we talk, the more this gets in the in the media, the more this gets in front of people that, make, that have power and can make change. So it gave me hope that yes, we can have sustainability because the, this, the biggest thing every single person listening to this podcast can do is talk about it. And as I said, that can be as simple as I'm taking a vegetarian burger to a cookout or the tortilla wraps that people buy. I'm using that bag to put my cheese in instead of buying a Ziploc bag to put my cheese in. It can just be the tiniest bit of talking and that if we get enough talking going, the systems will change. So a bit of both.
0: What are some of the ways that you learned or maybe realized, and maybe this was you or Zoe, that folks have an impact, a negative impact that they might not realize is negative. I meant to bring up an example. Zoe, I think I saw her write one time about how running on a trail can impact like elk communities or elk grazing. (laughs) and i'm like yeah yeah but it, no it's true mm-hmm. i mean you go out in the woods and and if you're not intentionally trying to tread lightly i mean you're re- you can really disrupt things like r- really disrupt the flow of a morning or a day for for a flock of birds or a herd of animals and it's like That happens day after day or, I, you know, there's a lot of fishing around here. And I'm like, every fish gets a hook in front of its mouth at least once a week. (laughs) How do they live through (laughs) that? How do they survive through all that? It all, it adds up. So anyway, I I don't know. I thought that was interesting when I read that from Zoe.
1: It is. But I also think, and sometimes things like that can, that's difficult because that makes us think, oh, well, I just can't even do anything. So what's the point? Like nothing, I can't win. I can't I can't even go out on the trail because I'm oh, like I'm messing up the animal ecosystem. So that's true. However, I think the biggest thing to focus on is what's brought Zoe and I together in a way is food waste. 30 to 40 percent of food annually is wasted through the production, through the transportation, through how like us wasting by not finishing it or using it. And that is a big contributor to global emissions, but also that. By not putting whatever waste you have in when you put it into a trash bag, because that trash bag is sealed it's made of plastic, it makes methane, which is twenty five to thirty five times more potent, which means more like means stronger than carbon dioxide so so that by having food waste in your trash actually is a really damaging thing that we can all limit so if there is a compost pickup company in your in your area or you have the ability to do it in one of the like rotating drums in your backyard, that is definitely something that people can do. Or if there's, if you uh, host events or you do anything with the company you work for that has leftover food, taking that food to food recovery places in your community. Again, that brings in the humanity, the community side of it. You're not only reducing food waste; that that food is not going in the trash. But also you're feeding those who uh, don't have enough food for themselves. You're taking care of your community. Cutting down on food waste is one of the biggest things we can do that has a huge impact, but really doesn't require that much change. And it's not something we tend to think about as like a glamorous way that we can make change.
0: And it sounds like it had a has a bigger impact than even you realized mm-hmm. before really getting into yeah, this.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm.
0: What about specifically as athletes? I feel like there's a lot of stuff that go, that is involved with a lot of sports. Running is probably the least just because you need a pair of shoes, but you can go through a pair of shoes pretty mm-hmm. fast too. Oh yeah. You, going through them constantly. I don't know like a runner like you, how many pairs of shoes you have to go through th- for a year, but like, what are some things people can do from that point of view? We're a big advocate on this show for used equipment. Taking care, being resourceful, like half the stuff that I feel like a lot of our folks use or, or they get off used sites like Cindy.io or rerouted places to buy and sell used outdoor equipment. What, what are some other ways?
1: Yeah, that is a huge one. And while running is, yeah, maybe lower on the scale with equipment used. I'm sure, your listeners have heard some at least conversation about the shoes nowadays are like carbon plated, the super shoes. The these shoes. This is one of my pet peeves. These shoes last about a hundred miles. Which, if you think about that, that a marathon is twenty six miles. How many how many runs you can get in a pair in a pair of these shoes? It's
0: like two weeks of running in it or less. I mean,
1: could yeah, could be. So I've never worn a pair of those shoes because I really struggle with them. But, but in actual answer, so you you brought up a lot of it, which is cutting down on the consumption, which again is so easy. So we decide we like a new sport and we, you know, we pick up rock climbing and we think, oh well, I got to get myself some gloves. I have got to get myself. I don't know any of the terms. You can tell me, like the bag with the chalk in it. <laughs> got to get myself the belay thing or yep. whatever that's called. Chalk bag. Um, <laughs> And so you go buy all of those when there's, you know, there's plenty of community groups like Buy Nothing is my favorite one, which is on Facebook. They'll have it in a lot of communities all around the world, uh, but definitely, definitely here in the US where you can go on there and say, hey, does anyone have this? I'm looking for this. And people will say, yeah, I've got one, actually. Let me you can borrow it. You can have it. And the same with you can also pass your own things on there. Um, So that's one way. You mentioned about other sites. That's a huge thing. By not buying things new, there are some items that need to be new. Shoes, unless, you know, they are very, very much unused, you kind of need your own pair of shoes. Uh, Same with, you know, underwear, socks, things like that. But other, you know, uh, outerwear can be bought, used. Uh, also fixing things at the Outdoor Media Summit we were at, Nick Wax was was, a, was there, fixing your waterproof rather than buying another one uh, with with products like Nick Wax. So there's plenty of ways of repairing things. Patagonia has an amazing repair shop uh, situation where they can uh, repair your items and allow you to get more use out of them. So, I mean, you hit it really by just saying reuse, cutting down. The, the, the reason that it's reduced... Reuse, recycle, not recycle, reduce, reuse, because the other two are more important than the recycle, which is the one that people focus on.
0: <laughs> That's the last step. Try to get as many of those cycles in before it gets to that point. Exactly. But, but Tina, I want to, you know, I want to run a marathon on every continent in seven days or Climb the seven summits or do these big challenges that take a ton of energy, take a ton of equipment, take a ton of money. Why can I do that? Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode.
1: I think I'm going to give an answer different to what people think. Firstly, I would say, do you have to do it within like the seven days? kind of do it quickly all together, like all of these flights all in a row. And I'm very much a fan of using, like let's say you're going to London and you're and you're going through France. Can you not get out in France and explore France a little bit before you go on to the UK? So now you've kind of box checked France, uh maybe use some public transport if there was somewhere particular you wanted to go. Uh and then you've gone on to the UK. So I'm very much a fan of that. But what I would actually say is Yes, you can do that. But you have to be intentional with your choices in terms of how are you going to make up what you've been doing, the impact that you have had, not just through offsets, which is a whole complicated thing. But when people hit offsets, that word is kind of becoming a bit redundant in many ways because the corporations are basically abusing it. And so this the offset means you are putting money into environmental companies that are you know, making change in a positive way. But when the corporations are buying millions and billions of dollars of these and not changing their ways, it's not actually doing anything.
0: Yeah. These, these carbon offsets. It's kind of like, it's kind of like trying to love your kids through just buying them a ton of presents.
1: Exactly. That's such a, I'm going to use that. That is a really, this is good...
0: actually like parenting them.
1: Yes. That is such a good analogy.
0: <laughs> uh, it's like, you know, you're trying to, Make up for lost time, you're, you know, you're the, the work you're doing, the, the negative practices versus being there for them. And I think that's what a lot of companies do.
1: That's such a good analogy. Thank you for that. I'm going to use that. No,
0: it's just I'll, from I'll experience. Make sure. No, no <laughs> it's not.
1: <laughs> but I would say you can do that. But then, okay, well, then you better be cycling to work every day. You better be prepared to go five extra steps with really researching the companies that you are buying things from. If you are going to go anywhere else other than this trip, anytime soon, you are looking at taking the train or you are sharing a car car with someone else. Like You can be prepared to do that if it means that much to you. But what are you going to do to balance that back out? What changes are you going to make in your everyday lifestyle so that you can kind of feel good about yourself in doing that? Because otherwise... You're gonna go, but it's almost gonna be a bit tainted because you're thinking about like, oh, don't feel like a very good human right now for for all that I'm doing here and this excess. So if it means that much to you, do it. But just consider the other things in your life that that you know you need to change as well.
0: Is there something to be said about getting to the point that you can appreciate less? glamorous isn't the right word, but less extreme achievements and goals and enjoying the simplicity of life. And and kind of, you're talking about that from like an elite point of view, like you were an elite runner, big crowds, huge achievements, televisions, you know, big gold medals, but that's not sustainable. And it's not sustainable for the planet. But what is sustainable is like really, really enjoying this neighborhood run or being out in this local trail. Like, I don't know, is there something to be said about adventurers or folks, you know, finding more pleasure and more joy from the smaller experiences that are closer to home that anyone can do.
1: I think that's the point we want to get to. And I try and I actually think about this a lot because of my kids and anyone with kids will know that, you know, you basically get through Halloween and the next day they're like, how long is it till Christmas? <laughs> and you're like, just calm down a second. And then Christmas comes and goes or whatever holiday uh, people celebrate in in December, January, and then it's like, when's Easter? Um, and so I'm trying to remind my kids of like, there's actually beauty and things to enjoy in each day. We don't want to spend our lives only 12 days till this, only 11 days till this. And so I think that has really made me look at what am I in myself thinking forward to always? Oh, I can't wait for this. I can't wait for that. When actually, and especially when it comes to getting outdoors. I mean, I think we see on social media, these pictures of someone in, in the grand canyon or like uh doing the appalachian trail and we think oh well that's how you that's how you get out in nature when really you have something near you and maybe it doesn't look quite as glamorous but it's still you know like you've heard of the term forest bathing like if you have trails near you which i do here in st louis which is not somewhere people would think about for like beautiful trails Is it as stunning as some of the places I've been in the world where we were at Outdoor Media Summit, Tahoe? No, (laughs) there's so much beauty there in a different way. Even just looking at like a single leaf, I can see like, wow, the intricacy here. But we're so used to, we're we're like always seeing these, these like perfection photos. And so we think that's what we have to search for. So I do think that is the goal where we can get to a point where we can go sit outside in our house. I mean, I'm looking at my trees out the back here and they're they're just regular trees. I actually don't know what type of trees they are. Um, But, you know, I, I really try and appreciate those and be thankful that they give me shade and they watch them changing colors. So I think we want to get to the point where we're not just looking for these big hits of things to be enough to be social media worthy or to check off a bucket list item so
0: absolutely and that's that's a big message here on this show is mm-hmm. featuring those stories not in those places known for adventure i tell people my most recent cross country bike ride they were like what's your favorite state and i went through the grand canyon and you know big the rockies and everything all the big landscapes out west they were like what was the best part of the trip and i said for a number of reasons ohio was the best. It was quaint. It was beautiful. It was lush. The people were incredibly friendly. And it was just an amazing experience. One of my favorite hikes this year, and I've hiked coast to coast, in the mountains, Alpine, all the way down to the Everglades at sea level. And my favorite hike this year was rural New Jersey. And I thought, (laughs) you know why? My expectations were so low. And they were... (laughs) I was totally blown away by the beauty of this river mm-hmm. and the cliffs and this waterfall. And I'm like, I didn't mm-hmm. know this was here. And I think the more of the world you see, and the more you realize that that everywhere has something really incredible off- mm-hmm. to offer, and it's exotic to somebody, and you can basically almost hijack that point of view of someone seeing it for the first time because it's all beautiful. It really is. If it's natural, it's beautiful. Doesn't matter where it is, what it looks like.
1: Yeah. I actually had, so I went to, I had the, when I was guiding one time, I athlete was running the Maui marathon. And so he asked me to, to come over there. And, and so I went to the Maui. I've never been to Hawaii. I was blown away by its beauty. But speaking of that, but on my lifetime bucket list, I had be the most spectacular sunrise at uh, sunset. And as I stood there watching this sunset one day, I thought, is this the most spectacular sunset I'll ever see? Is it? But maybe what if it's tomorrow? And then it suddenly dawned on me, like, why do I need to be in Maui to check that off or one of these spectacular views? So I actually then didn't check it off. And I checked it off in my backyard one day because the sky was still the same beautiful color. It just, and and yes, there were some houses and some cables in the, in the view, but it didn't mean the, the nature part was any less beautiful and that really dawned on me of like i would've been forever chasing the most spectacular sunset when actually every sunset is beautiful Ooh. and um, spectacular and so yeah we get so stuck on the best when actually as you said there's so much everywhere we go and it often isn't in places we wouldn't imagine
0: and i think realizing that that any slice of nature is really equal in grandeur, not just equal in mediocrity or, oh, it's, you know, just a tree or just, I i had, I had a big guest on a few weeks ago and they were like, biggest adventure in the world. And they're like, I'm like, what do you do on a day like today when it's pressed all day long? He goes, I find a tree and I sit under it for mm. 10 minutes. Cause that to me is as equal mm-hmm. as anything. Mm-hmm and it is if you find anything natural at all it's as equal as as the most grand grand place you can be and i think that's going to be a really big part of getting people to be more sustainable in their athletic pursuits and their practices is understanding it's not halfway around the world they need to be if you have that opportunity and the ability take it you know and be and be mindful of of the impact it has it doesn't have to be every week and every month or every year that to, to be a fulfilled life. That's really interesting. Well, can you, can, as, as we wrap up, who, who do you know, or, or is there any example you see who's doing this well, who, who's kind of living this message you're, you're talking about in the book?
1: Living it well. I mean, I, I do see quite a lot of examples of people, but usually that one person is focused on a specific element of it. So yeah. one of my best friends, his name is Ryan Montgomery is one, a uh, finished seventh recently at uh western states endurance run which was uh you know the considered the super bowl of ultra running ryan runs with so much joy love belief advocacy for the lgbtq plus community which ryan is a member of and i really feel inspired by ryan because of this ability to show that you can run at a high level but you can also do it your community with your community with love with joy with an understanding that every run is a gift that you have to take care of yourself and Ryan is very good at upholding boundaries to make sure that like things are sustainable in that way and then I really I mean there's quite a lot of ultra uh, a lot of um, environmental athletes that I follow and love I'm trying to think of one who's maybe a bit outside the running uh space that's something a bit different but no one is really is really coming to mind in that in that sense. Um, i I do think that uh, I wish I didn't have to bring him up because he's brought up so much as an example. But Killian Journey really minimizes flights, talks about climate change, is very outspoken, but also very much loves to get out in nature and show different sides of nature. So those are two people who come to mind for me right now. But again, I'm sure there are outdoor athletes that I know and love who, if I wasn't on the spot would come to mind.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, there's so many examples, but the important thing is, you know, fi- find how you can help. And uh so where where will people be able to find the book and, and, and tell us some details about about uh, getting a copy?
1: Yeah, so Becoming a Sustainable Runner is available in all major retailers here in the US. So you can get it at Target, at Barnes & Noble, you can get it on Amazon. I think those are the major ones, aren't they? If you go to becomingasustainablerunner.com, so that's the name of the book, becomingasustainablerunner.com, that has links to all the retailers, including international ones, including Amazon Worldwide. So that's probably the easiest thing to do. We would love for you to get a copy. It's available August 18th and just appreciate the support. So thank you.
0: And quite a raving endorsement by Malcolm Gladwell as well, I, I saw. So some very influential people found this book very moving. So I'm excited for folks to uh, in our community to give it out. And I think what we'll do is when when we release this episode we'll give away a few copies to listeners. Oh,
1: amazing. Yeah. We
0: typically do that with book releases. And so this will come out right after the book is out.
1: Amazing. Thank
0: you. We'll set up some sort of challenge for folks to win win, win a couple copies of the book. So yeah, this is important information. So Tina, thank you so much for being on Adventure Sports Podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I love this conversation and appreciate all that you do in our community.
0: First of all,